right, this is going to be a semi-cold open. This is the Hokie Hangover Podcast. My name is Mike McDaniel, joined by Ricky LeBlue. We're presented by Main Street Pharmacy. Andrew Alex cannot join us tonight. He'll be joining us later this week. We're going to talk about the Pittsburgh game. And this is essentially not only a Pittsburgh postmortem, but this is the Justin Fuente tenure postmortem, even though it's not officially dead yet. Rick, we're on our way. We are. Um, and going back to last week, when I talked about uh, the recommendation that I smile more on these podcasts, I'm not sure um, if that's going to be as easy this week, right? Cause tech predictably lost this game. Uh, I don't think anyone was surprised that tech lost. It was the manner in which they did it. And we are now at the point where um, it is October 17th. As of this recording, and Virginia Tech's season is effectively over. Um, and that's that's dangerous. Um, you start talking about having, what, six weeks left on the schedule they've got, or five weeks left on the schedule, something like that. Um, the end of this season is going to be tough, and I think it's going to be hard for everyone to endure it, and it's going to be hard for us to endure it. It's going to be hard for us to come on this podcast every week and try and entertain you when um, this, this whole situation has an inevitable ending. Um, But that's, that's where we're at right now. I will say that at least uh, this isn't a Ed Orgeron situation where Virginia tech is going to be requiring Ed Orgeron to come around once a year and glad hand everybody as the former national champion. Right. Coach. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which has got to be the, the most uh, bizarre, awkward, like buyout clause that I've ever heard of. Yeah. I mean, it's all about <laughs> kissing hands and shaking babies in the Southeast. So that's kind of what we're, what we're about. It's hands and shaking babies. I love it. And yeah. as it turns out, hitting on women at the gas station. <laughs> yeah, read that athletic story by Brody Miller if you're a uh, college football fan. Yes. Uh, interesting. Very interesting. So, Coach o, Coach o decided to be a frat boy at like 48. Which, which is fine <laughs> if you're still winning games. If you're not winning games, that becomes more of an issue. All that off-the-field stuff starts mattering a whole lot more, which feels like a nice transition to Justin Fuente stuff. Uh <laughs> Where, I mean, where the off the field stuff has never been an issue. Right. Right. Like, well, like not in that, not in that nature. It's been more just recruiting and yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of like, Justin's like, it's like, this is the hard part for me. Okay. Because I really like Justin as a person. I think Justin is a great family man. I think he represents the, the, the university and the program with incredible, um, incredible grace and intelligence. I think that he has handled some uh, cultural and societal issues pretty well, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of trying to uh, respect the opinions of his players and make sure that he makes them feel like that they're valued. But none of that's ever been the problem with Justin. Nope. The problem has always been the on-field product. And on Saturday, the on-field product was – at least offensively, it was one of the worst of his tenure. Defensively, it was kind of average. Like, they didn't play bad. They didn't play great. Um, 
But if you're only going to be able to score seven points against it, an average to above average pit defense, you're not going to win any games. It's not, it's not going to win many. You're not going to win any games at that rate. Yeah, I agree. Um, Virginia Tech falls to 0-1, I'm sorry, 1-1 in ACC play. Uh, that is their first loss. But I thought this was interesting. You wrote an article over at dollsdistrict.com. Excuse me. Go check it out. The article is titled, I guess the answer to now or never is never. This is kind of the sequel to your it's now or never for Justin Puente, which was your column going into this game, which I thought was really well done as well. This line stood out to me because I want to kind of dive into this in regards to like, the, well, and we'll get into, we'll get into the game itself, but we want yeah, to talk yeah. kind of broadly about the football program here too, obviously on this podcast. He wrote tech has only one conference loss. So they're by no means eliminated from the coastal race. But if you watch them against Pittsburgh, you know that this Virginia Tech team needs to worry more about bowl eligibility than winning a division title. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's I, – I don't think that I've ever been in a situation where a football team has one conference loss and the season feels effectively over. Like in terms of Tech's goals and aspirations for the season – the season feels done and it's, it's mid October. Like that's just how it feels right now. Tech has a win against Carolina who does not look very good. If we're being honest, barely beat Miami. They're, yeah. They're, they're one of the biggest overrated teams that we've seen in, at a, the ACC in quite some time. Um, the rest of the ACC is bad, but mm-hmm. tech looks like they're in that, that grouping of bad ACC teams. They don't look like they that they're, they're one step behind Pittsburgh or, or one step behind like a wake or an NC state. They look like they belong in the Georgia tech category of teams right now. And that's a, that's a really bad place to be. Yeah, no doubt about it. Virginia Tech loses on Saturday, but you guys already know that already. 28-7 to to Pittsburgh, 224 yards of offense, the lowest offensive output of the Justin Fuente tenure at Virginia Tech. It's inexcusable. It is. I mean, you can't can't come into a game like this and, and not be able to put a better product on the field. Like, from all accounts, Burmeister was as healthy as he's been all season even though we had the the bad shoulder injury last week, which again, I give the kid props for finding a way to get himself ready to play football. But yeah. um, Tech's inability to run the football, their inability to develop a competent passing game, um, those are trends that have really been building through the entirety of the Justin Fuente era. Last year was a bit different because they had Khalil Herbert and he was such a difference maker. and. We're seeing that on Sundays now, right? He had a touchdown today for for the Chicago Almost Bears. Almost 100 yards, yep. And and he has probably solidified himself as the number two option behind David Montgomery. And yep, it seems like he's going to be one hell of a number two option. Um, so you like imagine if Khalil Herbert hadn't transferred to Virginia Tech last year, what that offense would have looked like. Um, I I worry that it would have looked a lot like this. And this is where we're at now in in year six of, of the Fuente era. And, you know, these, these kinds of, of depth issues and the, the lack of elite talent at at least a couple spots, 
would be tolerable for a coach that was still trying to find his way and a coach that was still building his program. Agree. You know, kind of in the infancy stages, but that's just not where we're at now. You know, yeah. At this point, you have to take ownership and responsibility of the entirety of the program. And admittedly, Justin did that right at the press conference. Justin said, you know, it's my responsibility to get these guys ready to play and they weren't ready to play. But that answer only gets you so far. And at this point in your coaching tenure, while that's what you have to say, it's just not a good enough answer anymore. Virginia Tech is 15 and 19. This is courtesy of OxVT. I've seen this circulating around Twitter before this, but OxVT is the latest to put it out there. Um, Virginia Tech 15 and 19 versus Power 5 competitions. This is the start of 2018. Virginia Tech is two and six against Power Five competition in the last eight. Virginia Tech has lost to Pitt three out of the last four years by a combined score of 127 to 43. And we, there are all these stats, right? And we could talk about individual games. You know, there was the old Dominion debacle. There was a Liberty game last year, the Duke game from 2019, right? We can go up and down the list. But the one that stands out to me is the three losses to Pitt in the last four years by a score of 127 to 43. Ricky, the reason that stands out to me is because Pittsburgh is a team that over the last few seasons has been a competitive team in the ACC, much like Virginia Tech. And this is just the latest signal of Virginia Tech falling farther and farther behind their coastal counterpart, right? Like Pittsburgh, I think, is a pretty – we could talk about broader program and all that other stuff, but like the on-field product between Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech over the last few years has been pretty comparable. So to see that Virginia Tech loses, especially the last two games, in such a lopsided fashion is pretty indicative that Virginia Tech is not only falling further and further behind Clemson, but is falling further and further behind teams in the Coastal that, quite honestly, from a talent standpoint, are are right there on par with Virginia Tech. I mean, Virginia Tech should not be losing these games by three and four scores. No, and perhaps this is an unfair comparison, but... Cincinnati is going to be the number two team in the country. Yep. That is a, that is a group of five program. As far as I'm concerned, Cincinnati is the bellwether and the shining example of what happens when you have a good coaching staff building a solid program and finding a way to overcome some of your institutional disadvantages. And Virginia Tech, under at least under Justin Fuente, has not done that. We saw this under Frank Beamer, you know, throughout his tenure about how Frank overcame a lot of those institutional barriers. Right, Tech is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it is it is not near any urban centers whatsoever. Its nearest urban center is outside the state in 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 Charlotte. Um, Frank was able to overcome being in kind of a, a lower end conference at that point. Um, and he was able to build through solid coaching, solid hires, good development, good evaluations. He was able to build a program that punched above its weight class. And that's exactly what Cincinnati is doing right now. Cincinnati's punching above their weight class. Virginia Tech has not been able to punch with people in or below their weight class over the last few seasons. And to me, that's what's really, really discouraging is that were, you know, at the end of the Frank Beamer era, we saw Virginia Tech fall and settle into that middle of the road athletic program in terms of the, um, in the football side of things. 
And under Justin Fuente, that status has not been elevated. And at a certain point, you have to make a decision as a program. If you're with Babcock, do you want Virginia Tech to be an average football program? Um, I know what the answer from the fan base is going to be. The right. answer is no. So how much longer do you, con- do you allow this to continue? I mean, quite honestly, he can't, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and I, well, and look, we, I think we were all anticipating that Fuente would be fired after the way last season went. And then when he wasn't, it was like, okay, well, let's talk about what, this. what does he have to do to get fired? That, that was my thinking. That's where I'm at. Yeah, and that's where I'm at now, too, right? It's like, well, if you're not going to fire him after that performance, when are you going to do it? I'm not saying to – and I I see people saying fire him now, move on from him now. It doesn't do Tech any good. It's just going to cost him more money. I mean, the day day after the season ends, the buyout goes down, right? So – and Virginia Tech is not going to fall that far behind. Whit Babcock can do the work in the background. You know, there's this idea from fans that, like, Whit Babcock can't be looking for a next head coach or the staff, you know, wouldn't be aware that they're on their way out, you know, before the end of the season. That's just simply not true. Like, that's not how college football works. Stuff's going to happen behind the scenes. Like, Whit can, Whit can quietly start canvassing to see who would be interested to, to be the next head coach towards the end of the year and just wait to pull the trigger on Justin Fuente. It doesn't need to – I don't think a midseason firing does anything unless – and this is my caveat here, Rick. Now, I don't think this is going to happen, but this is my caveat. Unless you're with Babcock and you think that a member of the current staff could be a serious candidate to be the next head coach, right? Now, the, the individual people would point to is Justin Hamilton, right? Now, I don't think – and we can dive into this later. We can dive into this now. I don't really care, but I don't think, I don't think Whit Babcock in the position that he's in can afford to hire a guy who's only been a P five coordinator for uh, 12 plus six, 18 games. Right. Yeah. I don't yeah, think. Um, yeah. So I actually had a conversation with with someone about this before I came on the podcast and I asked him, you know, if you if you were picking an interim head coach, who would it be? And um the only two options I came up with were Justin Hamilton, uh which a, a, as much respect as I have for for Justin and and his contribution to the program both on and off the field, I don't think that he is head coach material. Um but if it gets to a point where Justin has to be Justin Fuente has to be let go, which I think could happen if, if he loses a locker room and yeah. if, if the team starts to quit, um, I, I think that would be warranted. My suggestion would be John Tenuta. He is someone who's been around the block everywhere. Uh, nobody on the staff and really very few people in the sport are as experienced as him. That would be interesting. I, I obviously Tanuda is not a long-term uh, candidate for the head coaching job. So really you're asking John to just get through the season. And quite honestly, I think he might be able to do it in terms of making Virginia tech look respectable. 
I'm right. not sure how many games they would win, but I think he could make them look respectable. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Justin Fuente still coaching Virginia Tech, and um, this offense is not getting any better. Yeah, I because Chinuda wouldn't be a long-term solution, I feel like they'd go the Hamilton route for interim if they're just punting the season just to see what he's got. But the Chinuda thing, I, I didn't think about that. That's interesting because he does have – he does have uh, experience both as a coordinator and a, as a head coach. So that, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. Uh, let's talk about the game. We can get back into kind of the broader Fuente discussion. So this game was 7 to nothing after the first quarter. And Virginia Tech's offense didn't really have much in the way of anything going on, obviously. Um, <laughs> really for the entirety of the game. Much of anything, they had nothing, right? Uh, this was they had they had one drive that went eight plays fifty yards, and then their next drives go three plays for three yards, three plays for one yard, three plays for two yards, two plays for zero interception, seven plays for twenty three, three plays for negative eight, two plays for negative two, three plays for five. Those those yeah. are the those are the next drives up until the touchdown at seven play 75 yards. Virginia tech had eight first half drives. They had six punts, a turnover on downs and an interception by Braxton Burmeister. That was the first half. Yeah. Like I, I, that's, that ain't going to cut it chief. Like <laughs> that, that's not going to work. Pittsburgh's defense and I know we're to the point now where, like, we know Virginia Tech's offense isn't very good, but like Pittsburgh's defense ain't that good. No, they've been no, fine. They've been fine. They're not Georgia. No, <laughs> you would have thought Virginia Tech was playing Georgia with the way the offense was played in the first half. I, I mean, this is what happens when you don't have the the recruiting and in the development from your coaching staff, right? Because Tech's leading rusher in this game was Malachi Thomas, a freshman. Like Jalen Holston, five carries, 18 yards. Raheem Blackshear, seven carries for 18 yards. Um, Braxton Burmeister, nine carries for 19 yards. He had 37 excluding sacks. So Tech can't run the ball. Braxton Burmeister isn't very accurate. Um, he's not efficient. Um, the offensive line has some serious issues. He was sacked three times in this game. They're not creating any any lanes in the running game. Quite honestly, I, I think Brock Hoffman has been particularly bad. overrated as a center. I don't bad. think I, I don't think he's having a, a very good impact on the on the game. Luke Tenuta looks kind of outgunned at left tackle. I don't think that that's a great spot for him. And, you know, Trey Turner had a decent game here, three catches, 73 yards. Uh, but there were a, kind of a litany of drops throughout the, the receiving core in this game. And that just kind of goes to show that Tech's receiving core just isn't very good. Um, There's some talent in that room, but as a unit, they're not really impacting the game in a, in a giant way. Virginia Tech had 63 yards on the first 10 offensive possessions of the football game. Uh, like you mentioned, drops everywhere, can't run the ball. Burmeister 
hasn't been a very successful passer, regardless of what you think about his overall health. <laughs> like he just hasn't been very good. Virginia Tech ran two quarterbacks off that were four-star recruits in the transfer portal and then tried to sell a bill of goods in the offseason that this was going to be the, the best passing game Tech's had since Gerard Evans. That like sometimes me, Rick, that was that was absolutely mind blowing. And Rick, sometimes you just dig your own grave, you know? <laughs> yeah, basically. Continue. Like, Sorry. Continue. No, I mean, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, this is just the the quarterback mismanagement in Blacksburg has been just exceptionally awful. I remember the offseason. Uh, at, between 2017 and 2018, I, I specifically remember this. I was working for Tech Sideline at the time, and I had a conversation with uh, Will and Chris in the in the office, and we were talking about how this was the deepest and most talented quarterback room maybe in Virginia Tech history. Yep, in turn, probably not quite that far because if you look at the the early 2000s, like in that Vic, Marcus Vic, um, Brian Randall era, those are some really good guys. But in terms of recent memory, right, this is the best – that was the best the Tech quarterback room had ever been. Yep. Um, and, you know, you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know, how, how is this going to work out, right? Because some, some guys are going to have to transfer. Right. Um, and – I remember thinking at the time, like, there's no way that Tech doesn't get a really good quarterback out of this, right? Because there's just too much talent. Right. I, I, someone's going someone's gonna to rise above the others, and they're going to become a terrific quarterback. And as it turned out, none of them finished their career with Virginia Tech. And that's just absolutely mind-blowing that Fuente, who's been lauded as at least he was originally as this guy who was really good with quarterbacks, and to a certain extent, it, it was it was true at Memphis. Um, like the, his guys there, obviously Paxton Lynch was someone. And then we have 2016 with Gerard Evans, and we're thinking, wow, this actually is true. Dalton at TCU. Yeah, you know, and but, yep. but then you get you know, Josh Jackson gets hurt. Uh, Ryan Willis isn't particularly good. Quincy Patterson never develops, or at least they never trusted him to throw the ball more than two or three times a game. Yep. Penn and Hooker, it seems like they never really let him loose and, and and put him in positions where he could succeed. Ryan Willis was just kind of a gunslinger guy who just kind of threw it all over the yard, and sometimes it looked really good and sometimes it didn't. And then Braxton Burmeister was a, a failed project at Oregon who has come here and has been average at best, and I would argue below average as a quarterback. Plays hard. Um, that's about it. Yeah, I, I, I love his his attitude and I love his demeanor. But you know, at some point, you've got to produce. And eleven point four QBR on Saturday. <laughs> like the the mismanagement of the quarterback room, I think, will be the the um, kind of the the tale that everyone tells about the Justin Fuente era. Like we can we can you know talk about the struggles on in recruiting and right. the misses on high level recruits like Devin Hunter. We can talk yep. about a lot of those things, but when it comes down to it, if you really want to explain everything in 
the shortest, most efficient way possible. It's that Virginia that Justin Fuente completely mismanaged his quarterback room, and um, that is what, at least in my opinion, has been the driving factor in in in, in destroying this Virginia Tech offense that was so good in 2016. Yeah, I agree, because even when the talent has come through the door and yes, there have been recruiting struggles and there have been individual recruits that Virginia Tech has missed on those individual recruiting misses. But when the talent's been in the door at quarterback, especially that talent hasn't been developed, uh, you know, we, and it's been an issue across the roster too. You know, there's been there's been talent that hasn't been developed across the roster. I mean, we can talk oh, about yeah. Trey Turner who congrats to Trey Turner, by the way, in this game, he's, you know, went over the 2000 yard mark for his career at Virginia tech. And that's, that's a great accomplishment, but I think everybody can look at Trey Turner's career at Virginia tech and say, yeah, he's had seven different quarterbacks, right? That's one side of the story. The other side of it is he was banged up a good bit, right. And and didn't get healthy. And then the third part of the story is he never really developed either. Right. He's especially not physically. He's in terms of his his physical attributes. He is the same exact person he was when he got on campus. Right. A good a good receiver. uh, A reliable receiver. But I don't think that, you know, look, this is the fourth year that Virginia Tech's had Trey Turner. And I think if you're being honest with yourself as a Virginia Tech fan, Trey Turner is very close to the same receiver he was as a freshman. The stats indicate that. The way he's played indicates that. His playing weight indicates that. Like, they're – and I like Trey Turner, and I'm not trying to just dig at Trey Turner, but he's the highlight of the receiving core as a whole. You know, we talk about the the issues at the quarterback position and and Cornelson's inability to develop the quarterback and Fuente, you know, that's on Fuente too. And the receiving core, you know, you lose you lose Holman Wiggins to Alabama, which oh, God. that's a killer. That, to me, that's a killer, right? But you're not going to. That ever, is. Go, go ahead. Ever, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you're never going to keep that that guy from going to Alabama. You know, when Saban calls, you go. I get it, but they've never replaced him. Holman Wiggins, as far as I'm concerned, was probably the best assistant on that staff, and. When he left, to to me, that's when it felt like everything changed in terms of the offense not being able to be competent. Like his his work with with Isaiah and Bucky and Cam and Trey early on. Um like tech, you're right, tech has not replaced that. Jafar Williams has been basically non-existent as a receiving coach. I, I don't know what impact he has brought into the game. I mean, I, I can't point. I, mean, I guess Tavion Robinson has looked pretty good this year and ha- has grown from just being a slot weapon, and maybe Jafar Williams gets some, some credit for that. But Holman Wiggins' departure still stings because, yeah. like you mentioned, Alabama is Alabama, and you can't fault the guy for leaving to go be – anything under Nick Saban really I mean I would be a janitor for Nick Saban if it meant that I could expand my career right Um, and 
it's just it's it's absolutely frustrating that it felt like that Tex all of the good assistants have only been here for a short period of time. Holman Wiggins, Daryl Tapp, um, I mean Galen Scott, I thought was a pretty good coach. Yeah, and he had to had to mess around and and completely ruin his trust under Fuente. So it's just been it's been a long journey to get to this point, <laughs> but uh, here we are. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot. I mean, you had the you had you know the the retaining Bud Foster, which at the time was lauded as a as a great move. I still think it was a great move. Yes and no, like from the from the standpoint of of having continuity right with with the existing players and having a familiar face yes um i don't think fuente wins 19 games in two seasons without bud foster you're you're right and i thought the defense in 2017 in particular was very good um but the 2016 defense wasn't bad either i mean the 16 defense was pretty good too no 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 16 defense was good 17 defense i think was better and the the offense i think 17's team i know record wise it didn't and 17 the team in 17 was good i think 17's team could have been even better than 16's team if evan stayed yeah um because the because of the defense but like the the disastrous I mean, it was a total meltdown in 18, but like the defense wasn't very good then. 19, the defense was bad in Bud's last year. Then you whiff on Odom because everybody thought Barry Odom was coming. You whiff on that. And then you hire Justin Hamilton, which I think Hamilton, like <laughs> now kind of looking at this year and seeing how bad the offense has been and how, how much better the defense has been. <laughs> this year like year over year from 20 and like having the personnel on the field being able to practice obviously plays a huge huge part in that and i i think that like hindsight being 2020 i think the hamilton thing has ended up working out fine for virginia tech because outside of the weird COVID year i mean defense played well again i thought yesterday uh back against the wall you hold kenny pickett to 200 yards passing and and two touchdowns you're dealt a bad hand was short field a couple different times, right? And I felt time and time again, outside of that first drive where Pitt scored, Virginia Tech's defense, I thought, hung in there. And I have a hard time faulting the defense even. And I know that the defense has been overall pretty pretty good in the red zone this year, you know, in, in terms of, like, bending but not breaking. But eventually, like, when your offense is going three and out every possession, like, what do you say to the defense? It's like, all right, go try go trot back out there do it again and oh by the way Jermaine Waller was hurt not that it really matters because I think Tech's season is toast and all their aspirations are toast Jermaine Waller was hurt on Saturday the the best defensive player in the ACC this year is now in a walking boot yep I mean I have I have no qualms with the defense this season I mean they they, there have been times where they have fallen on their face and 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 struggled in 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 clutch situations and maybe we should fault them for that, but by and large, the defense has played well enough to keep Virginia Tech in football games. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you give up 28 points, you should not be getting run off the field. And that's what happened in this game. I mean, Tech was like, at, at, 
at no point on Saturday did I feel like Virginia Tech had a legitimate chance to win the football game. No, and, when the offense and they only gave up 28 points, and that's well, that's inexcusable. When the offense went three and out repeatedly, like it was seven nothing. I'm like, all right, seven feels like 14, and then when it yeah, was 14, absolutely. I'm like, and then, then when 14 it was 14, feels like 28. 14 feels like double that exactly. And then when it got to 21 and before halftime, I'm like, this game's over. Yeah, because you know, you knew that no matter what Tech's defense did, it wasn't going to be enough. I mean, right. even another pick six wasn't going to be enough. What do you what do you do if you're wit? <laughs> like, what do you what do you do? Like, what, <laughs> I mean, well, the, that press conference. I, can we talk about the? I I don't want to like rehash it like A to Z. But can we talk about how bad, like looking back on it, how bad that press conference was last December? Like we thought it was bad at the time, but holy hell, like looking back on it, he was regurgitating from, uh, and I put in air quotes, what other coaches across the ACC had said about the Brad Cornelison offense. And <laughs> how bad does that look? Now it looked bad at the time. It looks like that aged even even worse than I could have even imagined. I can't believe how bad this is. I specifically remember making a statement around that time frame, saying that Whip Babcock shouldn't be trusted to make the next football hire at Virginia Tech. Yep, you did say that, and I remember being clown for it. <laughs> uh, Anyone, anyone feel differently now? <laughs> I dis, I, I was, I, I disagreed with you. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm going to give Wit credit for, you know, what seems to be good management on the basketball front. I know the Buzz Williams stuff got kind of nasty because he was always looking to leave, but Mike Young seems like he's done a good job so far. I give Wit credit on a lot of the Olympic sports fronts. He's made some progress, some serious progress there. Um, I feel like as a, you know, if you, if all sports weighed the same tech athletic program is in a better spot now than it was before Whip Babcock was brought here, that's, that is true. But if you, if you just, just solely look at football, which we know is the driving force in college athletics. If you just look at football, the management on the football side has not been particularly good. And um, you know, we had this ambitious fundraising plan that was announced that I was very skeptical of because I wasn't sure they were going to be able to raise that money. I don't really know how that's going. It can't be going very well right now, given that Virginia Tech's football team is struggling on the field. Um, the, the press conference at the end of the season last year where they announced that basically no changes were going to be made and we're going to run it back, uh, which – I thought was the worst out of the three options that they had last season. So, you know, Whip Babcock is going to end up getting to make this higher. Um, Cause I, I think you and I are both in agreement that Fuente will not be coaching Virginia tech next season. I, I like, I don't know. Well, well, let's, well, let's flesh that out a bit. What would it take for Justin Fuente to retain his job at this point? What would have to happen? Winning out and then winning the ACC. So, all right, so let's 
let's pull up the schedule here so that way we can make sure that we're all set because I don't think he has to win out. But I do think he's got to win a good chunk of these, right? So Tech is three and three at the moment. And, and while one... you're pulling that up, Rick, I yep, go ahead. I say win. I, by and large, right, I, I would say that if Virginia Tech lost the game to Pitt on Saturday but didn't look completely outmanned and embarrassed and just poorly coached, I would have said, yeah, he probably doesn't need to win out. But with how poorly prepared they were, how ill-prepared they looked, right? And, again, sometimes you dig your own grave. And I got to go back to that because when you say that this is going to be – you know, you feel like this is the passing offense is in the best shape it's been in since 2016, and we all know you're lying. Like, sometimes you got to face repercussions when you only put up, like, 220 yards of offense, right? So I wouldn't have said went out before the pit game, Rick, depending on how it looked, right? But given how it looked, I think he's got to win out. That's just my thought on it. But anyway, let's go through, you know, what Tech's got remaining. So Syracuse is this weekend in Lane Stadium, which – I have no idea what the crowd is going to look like for that game. Now, Tech's um, only a four-point favorite, and Syracuse has been playing better football. So that's – I mean, that – I think we can both agree that this game is losable for oh, Virginia Tech yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. All right, so, so Tech, Tech gets Syracuse. This is their last home game until mid-November. Um, they get Georgia Tech, who has been really up and down, kind of scrappy, you know – that's a losable game. Uh, the Jeff Halfleys, you you know that they're they're definitely capable of beating Virginia Tech. Duke, I mean, I'd favor Tech in that game, but not by very much. Probably the most winnable game left on the schedule now, given the way Syracuse yeah. has looked and how inept Duke looked. And, and, and maybe maybe Miami, given that they've been kind of a mess. Yeah, Miami might be on a new head coach at that point. Not, I mean, they won't have a new head coach, but they might have moved on from Andy Diaz at that point. Yeah, which I, I look forward to talking about that job at the end of the season because I think that's yeah. really interesting. Yep. Um, so so Tech has, what, six games left here? Okay. I think Tech's probably got to go either 5-1 and one or 4-2 and two for Fuente to keep his job. I think it's got to be fi- – I, I, I think he <laughs> – I'm on the record saying he's got to win out, but I think 5-1 and one is a must. I don't think – and 4-2 will put him at 7-5. and five. And before the year, I, I said that eight win, it's eight wins or more. Yep, and yeah. I got I to stick with that, especially with how, how bad Saturday was against Pittsburgh. And you know what's really interesting too, Rick, is that mm-hmm. I will say this. The first five games of the year, Virginia Tech obviously did not play particularly well against Middle Tennessee State, pulled away in the second half. Richmond was worse. We, we can agree Richmond. The Richmond game was worse out of those two. But Tech won. The West Virginia game was, uh, I mean, Tech fell behind early, right? We talked about, like, a couple of poor defensive possessions early in the game. Then defense really ratcheted it up. And then West Virginia essentially gave Tech a gift with the Jared Dagey interception. And Tech bungles it at the goal line, right? So, tough loss there. Uh, we were at the Notre Dame game, and we saw what happened there. Virginia Tech played well for about 57 minutes and then couldn't close it out. I will say, by and large, going into the Pittsburgh game, I thought Virginia Tech had played pretty pretty decent football this year, save for a few possessions here and there. The issue is that when you have a performance like this against Pittsburgh, 
this is one that's become all too familiar for Virginia Tech fans over the last few years where the team looks totally ill-prepared to play and it's like head scratching as to what they had been doing all week <laughs> leading up to the game. Like it didn't look like Tech had practiced like all year going into his Pittsburgh game. That's how bad it was. I couldn't believe it. And it's not like Tech had major injuries across the board. I mean, you lose Dax in the first half to the targeting thing, but like, it's not like Tech had major injuries everywhere. I mean, we know Burmeister's banged up, but I mean, this was not, Burmeister being banged up is not the reason why Virginia Tech lost 28 to seven. Good Burmeister, a good version of Burmeister would have, or a healthier version, I should say, a better version of Burmeister would have been more competitive, definitely. But a healthier version, I'm not sure if he had played poorly, it wouldn't have been a different result. I mean, it's just poor, just a poor performance. You can't run the ball as poor as Virginia Tech has run it all season long and expect to have an efficient offense. You know, Braxton Burmeister is, even at his best, a limited quarterback, right? And right. Virginia Tech's running game from the running backs has been putrid. Horrible. It's been it's been it's been downright bad. All worse than worse than before long. Herbert. Worse than before Herbert. We we criticized yes. the Virginia Tech running game in 17, 18, and 19. We criticized yeah. it. Because even in that 17 year, that Virginia Tech running game wasn't awesome. Like no, we talked no. about we had talked about going into the Khalil Herbert year last year in 2020, how Virginia Tech didn't have outside of the Trayvon McMillan season, which was 2015 or 16. Yep. We had the thousand yards last year. Yeah. Outside of that one year, Virginia Tech hadn't had a 1,000-yard rusher since David Wilson in 2011. So, like, this has been, outside the Khalil Herbert year, the running game has been bad under Justin Fuente for six years, or five years, I guess, not including last year. Five, five out of the six years, five and a half years, the running game has been terrible. Uh, this year is the worst I've ever seen it. It's yeah, shocking. Yeah. I didn't think it would be very good. I didn't think it would be this bad, though. This is surprising how bad it is to me. Like it, that it's gotten to this point where you can't pick up a yard. Well, I'm not particularly surprised because I I didn't really I didn't really believe in this group of running backs all that much. To be quite honest, you know I, I've I've never been particularly fond of Jalen Holston in terms of his performance on the field. I think that his complaining on Twitter off the field is is also quite annoying. Um, Malachi Thomas, I mean, hey, leading rusher as a freshman, 33 yards on just six carries. I give the kid props, but Raheem Blackshear, that is not who he is. He is not a between-the-tackles runner, and he had one reception in this game, and that's his bread and butter is catching passes out of the backfield. Um Jalen Holston, just not not getting it done. Keyshawn King has been completely exercised from, from the rotation, which is probably fair. And actually, I think he's banged up at the moment. Um, but nobody else in that running back room has has been able to provide a spark. And um, you know, Adam Lechtenberg, who is someone that was brought in basically as Justin Fuente's coaching assistant, right? As someone who could go recruit Juco guys and, 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 and evaluate players on Justin's behalf. And Adam was rewarded with the running back job when he probably wasn't qualified. And now here we are and the running back room is as bad as it's ever been. 
Yeah, Lechtenberg's a good recruiter, but as far as on-field production out of his running backs, it has not been there. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote, Ricky. Go ahead. This is aged poorly. Oh, <laughs> first of all, who is it from? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. Quote. Most people do not understand when you reboot the program and tear it all the way to the ground. Some fans simply want someone to pay for their pain. I know it hurts when we lose. There may be a better way to go about expressing it. That's the easy way out. Hey, the mob is mad. Let's change coaches and have a honeymoon. And no one really knows much for three years. Not here. Not this year. I don't believe that's right. That's not how we are going to do it just because it's easier and pacifies some of the vocal opinions and social media mob. Upheaval is a dangerous strategy if you miss. I know we have the right coach. If you change and miss, it can get into a spiral that you don't want. We believe we have the right guy, and that's what we are going to move forward with, with Babcock said. We have, given this, we have not given this staff a fair shake, in my opinion, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which I think, that's, I think the last part of that's a fair, a fair statement coming into this season, right? We are not going to throw the baby out of the bathwater. Rick, <laughs> he said, I know we have the right coach. But then you'll remember in the same press conference, Whit Babcock meant when asked if he's sure this is going to work, he goes, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure this is the right decision. Bruh, what? And then in the, literally in the same press conference, in like a 10-minute period, say, I don't really know how this is going to work. I'm not sure this is the right decision. How can you say that? I mean, this this goes back to my insecurities with Whit Babcock. I just I like I, him. I like Whit. I also like Whit. I it, but this again, was... I, uh, all of my issues with the Virginia Tech athletic department have nothing to do with these people's personalities. Okay, just so people get that get that understood. I like Justin Fuente as a person. I like uh, Whit Babcock as a person. I like a lot of the a lot of the folks in, in the Merriman Athletic Center as people. I think they've all been very good to me, and they've been very good to those around them. My issue is with performance, and uh, we all have a job to do, and we're all judged based on our job performance. And the job performance in Blacksburg just hasn't been good enough. And um, I don't think that that's been because Virginia Tech fans have too high standards. I think Virginia Tech's Virginia Tech fans rightfully have high standards for the football program. And uh, quite honestly, those standards have, are just not being met. And if, if this is indeed Justin Fuente's last season, I'm going to be just as nervous then as I am now about the future of the program, because I don't know that with Babcock, I don't, I don't have the utmost confidence in him to make this football hire. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to, uh, it's pretty hard to look at this season with where Virginia tech is sitting now and have any sort of level of hope or optimism. And I feel like the only way a lot of Virginia tech fans are going to have hope or optimism is if Babcock pulls the trigger and fires Justin Fuente. I think that's where we're at. Do you mean, 
hope or optimism for this season or hope or optimism going Period. forward? Period. Going forward. Okay. Yeah. And I, I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong on that one. If, if Justin Fuente keeps his job um, at the end of the season, which I look, I, I don't think tech's going to go four and two to finish the season. I don't think tech's going to go five and one. They're certainly not going to go six and zero. Oh. tech is going to lose probably at least three more games. Agree. Finish this year. So in my opinion, I think the most likely scenario is six and six. Um, it could even be five and seven. And if it's five and seven, then I think it's a guaranteed lock. If it's six and six, it's probably pretty likely. I think when you get to the seven, eight win range, it, it's just too hard to know what Witt is going to decide to end up doing. But it's, it, it is incredibly frustrating and saddening that Virginia Tech's football season feels effectively finished and there are six more games left on the schedule. That is, that is a feeling that I'm tired of feeling. I, because I, I feel like this has been an issue now for the last few seasons. Is that you just, you know, you get to a point in the season where you you just know that Tech isn't good enough to be competitive down the stretch, right? And I think that that's where we're at at this point, where you know Syracuse is coming next week, and we're going to have. Obviously, we're still going to put out preview pods for all these games, and we're still going to give each game the proper attention it deserves. Uh, but as a as a fan of the program, as someone who grew up rooting for Virginia Tech athletics and played more than my fair share of, of Virginia Tech football on the NCAA football games as a kid and was absolutely obsessed with this with this program. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's very saddening that this is where we're at. Virginia Tech had 74 yards of offense in the first half. First four drives, 17 plays, 54 yards, three, three and outs. I mean, it goes, it goes on and on. I just, man. And, you know, I can... I can at least see the, the, the logical path on, you know, having some, some leeway for the defensive guys last year. Right. Cause the defense was so bad. Right. Yep. And, and you're like, okay, well, it's a brand new unit. They haven't been able to practice much. I get it. Right. I can, I, I can see the, 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 the thinking and the path in order to get to that conclusion. For this offense, it's completely different. Right. This has been the same head coach. It's the same offensive coordinator. The running's backs, the running back coach has been in the program for multiple seasons. The offensive line coach has been in the program since the beginning. The wide receivers coach has been in there for a few seasons now. Um, a lot of these guys on the offensive side of the ball have been in the program for multiple seasons, and they're still one of the worst offenses in the country. I mean, they're they're probably aren't they the worst at least statistically speaking the worst offense in the conference they are the worst offense in the conference they are 120th out of 130 fbs teams in total offense and i'm pulling up the yards per play numbers but i know they're not much better yeah so in in year six for an offensive side of the house that's had 
relatively stable coaching continuity, you know, from the top in terms of having the same offensive coordinator, the same offensive line coach, the running back coach has been there for a while. Um, A lot of the players, again, have been there for a while for having some pretty good continuity and, and familiarity within this unit to be this bad. That's just inexcusable. I mean, this has this this feels a lot like that 2015 offense where you just felt like that that offense just had like the lowest ceiling of all time, right? Like that you just never felt like that the Virginia Tech offense that that year was going to be any good. Um, and I, and if I remember correctly, it felt that way in 2014 too, but that's just where we're at right now with this Virginia tech team. And the, the ceiling on the offensive side of the ball feels incredibly low. And that is why I don't have a lot of confidence that this offense, I actually have no confidence that the offense is going to get any better through the, through the second half of the season. Virginia Tech, like I mentioned, is averaging 310 and a half yards per game. That's 120th out of 130 FBS teams. Virginia Tech is 114th out of 130 FBS teams in yards per play. Hokies are averaging 4.74 yards per play on offense. Um, I mean, what else is? I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, this is can't win if you don't score. Can't win if you don't score. Like we mentioned, when it was 7 nothing, it's like, okay, Virginia Tech can maybe if they find their footing a little bit offensively, you know, the defense can hang in there for a little bit, fine. But when we saw more offensive possessions yielding three and outs, punts and turnovers, you saw this thing go to 14 nothing and then 21 nothing. This thing was a wrap at halftime. And Pittsburgh's got a good football team this year, Ricky. I don't think anybody's disputing that Pittsburgh's got a good football team this year, but it's inexcusable for Virginia Tech to put up that kind of offensive performance against that defense. And nothing again, nothing against Pittsburgh's defense. Pittsburgh's defense has been pretty good in 2021. They haven't been elite, though. They haven't even been really good. They've been decent. And to put up that kind of offensive performance, I mean – Rick, this was a Pittsburgh defense to give up 44 points to Western Michigan and a loss less than a month ago. Like, Virginia Tech scored seven. Virginia Tech had the lowest offensive output in six years under Justin Fuente. This is just inexcusable. And everybody talks about Brad Cornelson. I think everybody's past that now, right? It's bigger than a Cornelson issue. It's He's, he's a well, part of I do think. I do think a lot of Tech's issues do stem from Brad Cornelson, but Brad Cornelson is being enabled, right? Like, Yeah, right, right. Agree, agree. Justin Fuente is Brad Cornelson's enabler, and that's that's not great. Now, And, you know, you bring up Pittsburgh, and I think it's, I think it's worth noting. I mean, back in 2016, Virginia Tech beat Pittsburgh, and it felt like, it felt like Pat Narduzzi just coached such a, an awful game in, in 2016 because his defense made no adjustments and just Gerard Evans continued beating them down the field yep. in, in, in one-on-one matchups. I don't think very many people would claim that Pat Narduzzi is a great football coach. Um, his career, his career at Pittsburgh suggests that he is average to slightly above average. Yep. But look at the program trajectories 
from 2016 on for Pittsburgh and for Virginia Tech. Pittsburgh has won an eight, won a Coastal Division title since then. Um, Virginia Tech has not won a Coastal Division title since then. Virginia Tech has had a losing record twice. Pittsburgh once. Pitt is five and one this season. Pitt is probably going to win the Coastal this year. Virginia Tech is three and three, and is fighting for bowl eligibility. At a certain point, you just sit there and wonder that. How can Virginia Tech accept having a coach that is either on par with or below the performance of Pat Narduzzi, who, again, is not a great coach? Virginia Tech has only won one ACC Coastal Division title in Justin Fuente's tenure, and it was in year one. Yeah, with with a roster that was largely not his. I mean, Gerard Evans was obviously his, his right. player, but up and down that roster that was a roster that was not recruited by him there's nobody actually defending fuente at this point right and and this i mean these are all his players these are all his coaches and it's only gotten worse and and this was a narrative shaping season and i said that coming into this year where i thought that this was going to go one of two directions it was either going to be Virginia Tech is a six or seven win program under Fuente, right? Or this could have gone the direction of Virginia Tech has had six seasons under Justin Fuente and four of those Virginia Techs won eight games or more if Virginia Tech were to to have won eight games this year, right? And I say that like it hasn't happened, it won't happen because it won't happen this year, right? So I'm not going to pretend like Virginia Tech's going to win. I'd be shocked to see Virginia Tech win eight games. That would require them going five and one down the stretch like we mentioned. And this was going to be a narrative shaping year for the program. And we knew that coming into it. I think if Virginia tech were to have played well this year, we would have said, all right, you know what? 2020 it was COVID and 2018 was an aberration, right? We could have said 16, they won 10, 17, they won nine, 18 was a bad year, 19, you know, they, they won eight, but it was, you know, they were on the, the uptick going into the last couple of games. And then 20 is a COVID year. And so this was going to be a narrative shaping season either way. And I think a lot of us had a feeling of how we thought this was going to go, especially if tech had injuries, but it's, it's coming to a, a screeching halt when considering how well the defense had played, even in this game on Saturday and just how totally inept the offense was setting new personal worsts for a regime is, is acceptable in like year two, right? If you're still, in the middle of a rebuild or you're still trying to take over and get your guys in it's inexcusable in year six and i mean this is this is it this is it for justin fuente i mean i think it's i think it's a wrap here and i think virginia tech's going to have to move on and, and cleanly break from this i just don't and again nothing against fuente it's just not it's not working on the field and i think both parties could use a fresh start yeah i think Absolutely, that Virginia Tech needs to go in a different direction. And again, I, I say that as someone who likes Justin Fuente as a person and under different circumstances, I would love to have him represent my football program. Um, but this is a results-driven industry, um, as Ed Orgeron learned quite quite quickly. 
<laughs> and, yeah. um, one thing that I think is worth mentioning now, and we can kind of monitor this as the season goes on. Cause I know we're starting to get towards the end of the pod here, but there are going to be two giant coaching openings yep. this off season. Yep. Uh, one of them is of some geographical importance to Virginia tech. And that would be LSU. The other is really on the other side of the country. And I can't imagine that USC and Virginia tech will be recruiting the same types of coaching candidates. Um, just given the two schools and, and their, their, uh, different wants and desires. So with that said, there is going to be a lot of movement this off season, most likely. Uh, there are going to be a lot of jobs open as there are every year. And Virginia Tech is probably not going to get their first choice. And if you're, <laughs> yep. if, if you're with, and, and, you know, I haven't really done a ton of research uh, into possible coaching candidates. I did quite a bit um, last year and, my guy was Todd Grantham, and after watching Florida's defense be pretty pitiful nope. and um, talking with some folks who are kind of familiar with that situation, I have entirely backed off of the Todd Grantham train. Um, so I don't know a list of candidates. I haven't really done the research, but I know someone who makes enough money to do research on that, and he better have a list. USC is open already. LSU is open already. Miami's probably going to open. This yep. and if you're with Babcock, this is kind of the price of doing business and not making a move last off season. I mean, you consider the jobs that opened last off season, Ricky. It was, you know, the the big one that opened was Auburn, right? When Auburn opened, I think that was that was one that we were. I guess anticipating like Malzahn had been on the hot seat there for a while, but when Auburn opened, it was like, all right, that is the big job opening this off season, especially when USC decided they were going to keep Helton. Like, okay, Auburn's the one job, the one massive job that's going to open. And then Texas became the second one kind of out of nowhere. And now you're going to have USC and LSU already open the same cycle. Now you got to go compete with Miami which is and, because it's and it's I think it's job. important to mention that um, Cincinnati could be opening because Luke Fickle could be moving on to greener pastures. Yeah, um, he's obviously yep. not going to get fired from that job, right. but right. but UC could be an opening. And you know, if if I'm a coach in the you know kind of the Ohio Valley area or you know, someone who's from the, the mid-Atlantic, I can't say that I wouldn't value the UC opening over Virginia Tech. Right. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, especially with overall program health at this point in time. I, I do think, and, and we can, we can kind of wrap up, we can just touch on this final point, Ricky. I do think the Virginia Tech program overall, especially given the, the last nine months and the fundraising and the, the new facilities that you know, additions and things like that. I do still think Virginia Tech is an attractive job. I think the added fundraising initiatives help that, obviously. Uh, I think this is a job that 
certain competent college football coaches would still covet and would like to have. But I think with that, and I, I think a lot of it has to do also with Whit Babcock. I think he's pretty widely respected across the college football industry and college sports industry as a whole, just, you know, with his ability as an athletic director. So I think that I'm sure helps if, if you like your boss going to work every day. So I think Virginia Tech will have their fair share of candidates. But I think to your point, Tech's probably not going to get their first choice. Um, considering the the jobs that are going to open. So I think when you consider any list of of new prospective head coaches, I think it's important to keep that in mind. What's you know, what's most realistic and and also you know, that list better be like six or seven names deep. At least. At least. I and I'm just curious to see what direction Wit goes. I mean I have a hard time seeing Virginia Tech hire another group of five head coach after after what what's kind of transpired here. And the Fuente hire was well respected at the time, and for the first two years, it was great. <laughs> Nineteen yep. wins. I mean, he two was. Years. Think just think. I think some people forget this. Fuente received not one, but two contract extensions in his first two seasons. Yep two that's how good this thing was going and here we are yeah here we are is right uh rick anything anything you'd like to add before we uh before we wrap it up and preview the syracuse game which could go in all sorts of different directions yeah um first thank you main street pharmacy um second uh rate review subscribe Third, uh, thank you, everyone, all the listeners who are sticking with us for this season. We are not just as not happy as you are, and we hope that you'll continue to listen despite you know how meaningless these games are starting to feel at this point. Uh, so, again, we, we thank you for continuing to listen. Uh, continue to tweet at us and um, share our stuff, and we'll continue to interact with you on a, week, on a weekly and daily basis because – Ultimately, Mike and I and Andrew, we all enjoy interacting with y'all. Um, and it's this is fun for us, even though it doesn't sound like we're having very much fun right now. <laughs> yeah. But um, but no, so just thank you for sticking with us. And um, hopefully we'll get to the end of the season. We'll all be a bit happier. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to wrap it up. We'll talk later this week. <laughs>